Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello, hockey fans, and thank you once again for tuning into the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner, along with Chris Lisa. We got a very special guest for you guys tonight. Excuse my voice. I've been under the weather the last couple of days, so I'm going to try and hack my way through this. Uh, we've got Russ Cohen with us from Sportsology. He is, uh, he's, he's got a, bu- a bunch of books out. I believe his latest book is, is Philadelphia Flyers book. Is that correct, sir? That is correct, Mark. Yep. Okay, images of sports, and and I see in the credits for that you had a couple of guys that uh, you also want to give credit to. Is that correct? Yeah, Mike and Joe Del Tufo. They worked on it as well. It's from Arcadia Press. People can go to my Amazon page and they can see any other book too. All right. Yeah, you have the uh, hundred things Rangers fans should know and do before they die. Sort of a bucket list there for Rangers fans. You also yep. have the uh, the Winter Classic, uh, how it's the, mm-hmm. the NHL Savior. You got a bunch of baseball books on your Amazon page. Uh, mostly, I see mostly in the Northeast, Yank uh, Rangers, yeah, Flyers. All right, that's super cool, Mets. Super cool. You're also in the uh, the Hockey Buzz podcast family. Is that also correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do that every day, uh, right around one o'clock. Do you guys do that live? We do that live on video, yes. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, anyway, we got Russ in. He's kind of a, a cap expert, a draft uh, draft know-it-all. Um, everything that uh, we're going to talk about is stuff that, that Chris is really into, and, and I'm going to be learning along with everybody else. So uh, let's talk. Let's jump right into the the escrow portion of how the salary cap works. If you could kind of just give us a rundown about how the – Chris has it labeled escrow for dummies, and that's going to that's gonna fit me just fine. So why don't, you, why don't you roll through a little bit about how that works for us? It's really all of it, it, it should say, for dummies because, you know, nobody's really an expert on the CBA except for the people that wrote it right. and, and the people that study it every day. But basically – there's a thing called hockey-related revenue in, in the league, and that's part of what's taken in at the gate, at the arena, and all that. And that money, 50% of it goes to the players. So 50% of that is getting basically bet against when the players get escrow. So they come up with a number, and they say, okay, it's like this year was 16%. So basically, if they reach the goal of hockey-related revenues, the players get their 16% back. But if they fall short then they lose some of that escrow up to 16%, depending on, let's say, if they fell short 20% on projection. So that's sort of where that works. And that's one of the tricky things in the uh, in the CBA because most of the time they don't want the escrow to rise, but it rose a little this year because when the Canadian dollar went down and everything else, they didn't have a choice. But then there's also this 5% escalator that works on the other end where you know the cap could still go up. And so at the end of the day, players have to decide, do I want the cap to go up? Do I want the escrow to go down? Because you're still working off that same number. And, and, you know, most of the time the answer is they always want the cap to go up because you can get more players. Players can get 
higher salaries. And then, then they just hope that they'll get their full salary at the end of the year. That's the best way I can explain it. Okay, so um, on top of the 50% of the, of the revenue split, there's another 16% that gets held in escrow, and you mentioned that if the Just in case, it's bet, against, it's bet against that 50%, basically. So if they don't reach the projected revenue, you mentioned that they lose the money. Does that then revert to the owners? Uh, well, it, just, it goes back to the league because if they're, if they're not basically... I don't know if all the owners split that or not. Okay. My, my best guess is they probably do. Right, because right. they split everything else. Huh. So I would say you're probably right on that. I never really thought about that aspect of it. Okay. But, yeah, so essentially that's that's what happens, though. So they're always hoping that they reach their goal, and they've reached their goal pretty much every year, but doesn't mean this year they're going to because the Canadian dollar is sort of playing a little havoc with that. It's getting better, but it's not there yet. Yeah, that was going to be my question. How much of that pool of money is affected by the the value of the Canadian dollar, like do the Canadian teams pay into that escrow in Canadian dollars, so that lessens the overall value of the escrow? No, I mean players. All players get paid in American funds, right? But if you're a Canadian team, you're drawing your money from Canadian funds, so there is like just a hit you're now normally going to take. Right. That's because if your economy is bad, that's just coming off the top, right? That's just there's no way around that. Well, that's one thing, and I'm, I'm going to jump ahead in the conversation just a little bit about the Quebec City bid. If we just use round numbers and say the salary cap's right at $70 million, which I know a couple of weeks ago the Canadian dollar was right at $0.70 cents to the American dollar. So mm-hmm. basically at that point what we're saying is that in order to just make payer, player payroll a Canadian team, and not just the uh, for an expansion but all canadian teams they have to take in a hundred million canadian at the gate to pay the 70 million dollars in american dollars to the players and yeah i think that's fair to say unless for some reason the company that owns that team is mainly mainly invested in american funds but i I would imagine that that's a rarity like you know there was a time when an american owner owned the canadian so that probably did happen back then but and I'm sure they all have investments that are in the states, but so it may not be exactly that number, but but they definitely take a hit for sure. Yeah, just just on just taking round numbers. Now, now, just an interesting yep. thought I had. I was wondering if there was a salary cap in place back in the late '90s, would that have been a factor in being able to save the Nordiques specifically, but then also Winnipeg as well? Uh, I don't think so because. What what was happening then, from from what I was told, I wasn't covering the sport then, but I was certainly a fan, was that they felt like the corporate market was really slim. And so they weren't having fans show up. That really wasn't the issue. But they weren't getting enough corporate dollars, is what I have always been told. And so when that sort of wasn't there enough, then that sort of is what went wrong with them, not necessarily the fans or who showed up. Because at the end of the day, I think they had enough fans, but I think when everybody started reaching out for more corporate funds, they weren't able to get them. Now, apparently that's changed based on the renaissance that's happened in Quebec. And so 
even though they won't be able to pull in corporate funds the same way as maybe a Philadelphia can, apparently it's better. But again, right now they're not listed as like the next team up. You know, like Vegas is listed as the next team up, and then Quebec is sort of just hanging out there. And so Quebec could really get a franchise that moves, that gets relocated before they even get a new franchise. I think that's more likely, but that's still going to probably be a couple of years away. Yeah, I know uh, earlier this this fall, I guess it was, the, the Florida Panthers were taken off the table by uh, – they had a city council yeah. vote with a seven-year bailout plan. So even though yeah. even though it's tough to get to the arena and they're and they're actually drawing a little bit better this year because the on ice product has mm-hmm. improved, um, they won't be going anywhere for at least seven years. Um, so that leaves some of the other obvious ones on the table. But I was just curious about how how your view and just how the cap affects the possible expansion. We, we're on record saying that we hope Quebec City goes in with us. I think that would be kind of a nice a nice trick of the NHL to put one of the most traditional hockey markets in with, let's be honest, the most non-traditional hockey market that any <laughs> hockey fan could think of. Um, it would be kind of cool. You'd have your new fans in Vegas. Um, the traditional fans in Quebec would be able to celebrate the return of the Nordiques and you'd have two new television markets to add money to the funds, and I just think that would be a pretty neat marriage. Um, I'm, uh, saying that, I can just keep... It going. would be, but I don't think it's happening. Yeah, that's that's what I'm worried about, but I'm pretty sure we're on deck here. So uh, I know Chris has... No, you're on deck. Yeah. Your, your team is on deck, and actually on deck to the point where, you know, next June, sometime in June, you'll have an expansion draft. Yeah, I think uh, there's there's a sister podcast here, the Sin Bin, and one of the guys there, Dana Lane Sports, has come across uh, someone from the MGM who has seats for Gary Bettman at the opening of our arena this coming up week. And okay. some of us have our fingers crossed that the announcement is coming here the uh, that weekend, and will be open. I think it's April, shock me. April 12th, and that puts the ball rolling towards our expansion draft. So there's a lot of right because once they announce. Then they could hire the staff. Absolutely. Because you have to hire a GM and you have to start. Believe it or not, you still have to hire, start hiring scouts because at least pro scouts, because they've got to know who they're going to pick in the expansion, so they've got to start scouting other teams. And so I could see the ball rolling then, so this way by the time the season starts next year, they have a staff in place and they can have some of those people checking out the guys on the pro teams and then the other people checking out the junior circuit. Yeah, and then don't forget you're building a you're building a whole second franchise because you have to have a, a AHL team to you know start with. So you have to hire all the all the office and GM and scouts for your AHL team as well. You do find a city but, uh, find a city for them, find a place for them to play. Make sure there's well, no that's the thing. Place. A lot of times the AHL franchises end up playing musical chairs now because they're adding a team. They may have to add a city. But sometimes they could split an affiliation. Right. And if they split an affiliation with somebody, then you don't have to go through those troubles. So to start, it wouldn't shock me if they split affiliate with somebody. That kind of makes sense. There's Since most of the East Coast AHL teams have moved out to the West Coast now in this last year, they might be able to grab. Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice if the other rink that the Wranglers played on could have been used for that. But I, I, I'm, and I, you know, I was staying in the hotel that the rink was at, even though it wasn't in season, and I never got a chance to take a look at it. But I knew people that 
that covered it and, and the guy who did the announcing there. And they said it was, you know, pretty beaten up. So maybe they'll have the AHL team. If it's a new one, they might have it play in the same building, but that would be kind of chaotic. Yeah. So that's why I'm thinking they'll, they'll probably try a split affiliation at first because that would be the most reasonable way of doing it if somebody wants to do it that way. You could have your minor league team play at the MGM. They they hold about fourteen thousand for hockey over there, and it's not it's not in bad shape. They do the the and there is a western swing, right? I mean, now there's a lot of teams out there, sure. so that does that does remain a possibility. And then if you do that, if they are in the same building, then you can sort of save on the staff and the trouble of that too, because a lot of the people can can sort of double up. I think long term, I think just to bring in the the rest of the state and even start branching towards Seattle, Reno would be a great option for our minor league team. If you're listening, Mr. Foley, um, give, give Reno. I think Seattle will get into the game. Seattle will definitely get into the game at some point, but I don't think they've even started on that rink. And they haven't. You know, the problem with these rinks is it's always nice to say, "Hey, there's going to be a new rink going up," but I'm always looking at websites and. Anytime I just see renderings and I don't see an actual camera with them building, then I kind of worry because, you know, like there's a rink in New York where Mark Messi has been working on it for a couple of years in, in, uh, in the Bronx. And now that, that one's in jeopardy. They have to raise like 120 more million or something. And if they don't, then New York's going to pull the plug. So de Blasio is giving them like another month. And okay. so sometimes that's what happens with, with these buildings is, you know, you get word that, hey, there's going to be a building, and then they go to the NHL, and if they don't get an NHL franchise or some sort of assurance, then sometimes that funding falls through. Right, and Seattle, most of their public funds they're using on that Soto Arena are, are tied to a memorandum that the city council passed that requires an NBA tenant first. So they're going through. <laughs> Which the... is really ironic because yeah. i, I got to tell you, I've only <laughs> been to Seattle once. I was there once. I got invited out by Microsoft, and – I got to go to a Supersonics game, and the place was full. The fans were, were crazy. They had a good team. They had a good coach. We went to practice. We were there for everything. It was great. And then they moved them anyhow. Yeah. And so, like, that was just very unjust. Like, that was just and, – and to move them to Oklahoma City just made no sense. Like, I don't care if you're a billionaire and, and you want a team there because that's your, you know, that's your pet project. It was a lousy thing to do, so I guess they owe one, but, you know, it just kind of it leaves a bad taste in my mouth, that's all. Yeah, for sure. Well, let me take us out to a break here real quick, and we'll come back from the break, yeah. guys, and we'll talk some uh, amateur draft coming up here in the summer. We'll be right back. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us. The Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk, radio-format streaming station. Check it out. All right, hockey fans, thank you for coming back. We're here with Russ Cohen of Sportsology. You can follow him on Twitter for all his content, at Sportsology. Uh, we're going to hop on to the to the coming up amateur draft. Chris, if you want to take it away, I know you got a few questions for that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Russ, I don't know if you agree with this, but if you if one was to grade last year's draft as a grade A, give it a grade of an A, what would you grade in terms of uh, give a grade in terms of this year's draft 
and how deep is this year's draft? Last year's draft, I remember reading in from various teams how thrilled they were with the players they got in the fifth round. They felt like they were getting mm-hmm. third or fourth round value in the fifth round. Uh, how do you feel about those two things for this upcoming draft? I think if I was to grade this draft, and I would say it's probably a, a B minus. I think it's going to be a good draft. I think I, I hear a lot of same nonsense every year where, you know, oh, it's not that deep a draft. I didn't say it last year, but, but nine times out of ten I hear that. And it's an easy thing to sort of minor bird and say, and then the good teams still find players, and we seem to find more players every year. But, but I think it's not going to be as good as last year. That's obvious. And so I think you, you can go with a B minus. I think the first round is really pretty strong, but I think like after one, there's a little bit of drop off because Austin Matthews, I think, is on his own plane as far as where the other players are. And then I think after 11, there's another little drop off. And then I think once you're out of the first round, I think you could still do really well in the second round. I think you'll even do well in the third round. But I think like if you're looking for, let's say, defensemen at that point, you're getting incomplete projects. You're getting guys that are either not great skaters but can do everything else or really good offensively and not good defensively or maybe they're just too skinny and they could be a little faster. Like you're going to get more project guys by the time that third round hits where last year that wasn't the case. And even this year defensively, I think it's a little weaker than last year. Like you're not going to get the same quality of defensemen after like the first few go. I think you'll still get really good guys. And I think they do so much with training and, and most guys, even if they're a little slow now, it doesn't matter because they do seem to be able to work that out. So I think, I think that's a big factor, but there's a lot of wingers in this draft, like a lot of great wingers. And so I think that's a, uh, a strength of it. Do you feel, um, is there a couple guys who are really rising who can break into the top 10 or is the top 10 pretty much set, you think? No, it's never set. I mean, I'm going to be covering the under 18s. It's uh, going to be in Grand Forks in, in a few weeks, and it'll be the first time it's in the U.S. That's the last big tournament before the draft. Now, they'll, you get some young guys that play in the world championships, and so you, you will get a, a view of Matthews and that, but his, his stock is safe. But there'll be some other guys that could rise from that, but this is the, largely the one that everybody else sort of gets judged on, and because by then the... Um, not the, the Memorial Cup's not over yet, so you still can get a few guys in there, but, but the larger pool will be here. And so you look at it and you say, okay, top 10 can always change, but I think, I think you're safe up to four or five. After that, I think it, it can change. I think like a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois plays in the queue, big centerman, had a great game in the, uh, CHL top prospects game. Like I currently have him ranked uh, seventh, and he could still rise for me if, if I feel. And this is I. I just rank him. I'm not doing a mock here. Somebody may hire me and do a mock, and I'll do that maybe a, you know a month before the draft. But but this is just where I sort of rank players because that's what I like to do. Because you can't do a mock right now because they haven't even done the lottery. Right. So anybody who sort of does a mock before the lottery, it's kind of crazy because you don't even know where team's going to be picking. And so I don't even broach that. But like I said, Dubois is a guy that's rising. Alex Nylander seems to be rising. That's Williams' brother. Right, right. I think uh, Jacob Chikrin has fall, fallen a little bit. Olu Levy of London, he's a defenseman. He's rising a bit. And Kachuk, I think, is even still rising a bit. I have him at four, 
And it's possible, like, if you were going to tell me the Leafs pick third, I still think the Leafs might pick him there. Because they have a great familiarity with him from London. Mark Hunter is uh, is one of the owners there, and he works for the Leafs. So, sure. you know, he's got intimate knowledge of, of all the players that come out of London. And so I think he'd be a target even as high as three. So that's certainly a factor. Other than that, I think you're looking – I don't know if you're going to get anybody who maybe I have ranked in the top 20 jetting up as high as 10. It's always possible. And, and, and look, there's a kid, Rooptop. I don't have anything on him. I've seen him in some other lists. It's possible he could break in the top 10. But I, until I see him, because I don't even have any video on him, I don't have anything, right. I don't put a guy on the list. Last year, Samsonov, you know, he, he went first round. I hadn't seen him at all. I had no video on him, so I didn't put him in my in my rankings because I'm just fair that way. I don't make stuff up. So he's another guy that certainly could move up there. But I, I you know, my file on him is incomplete. Maybe uh, after that under 18, if he's there, that'll help me. Well, in a, in a, uh, last question for the draft for me is: uh, Is there a guy, Russ, from uh, the middle rankings in terms of the first round, from the middle to the end? that you absolutely love and you feel like, gee, if I was a general manager, this guy would be, we can be, I get a lot more love from me. Yeah, I think, um, I think Charlie McAvoy, the defenseman from, uh, from the NCAA, I, I think he's a guy, because again, I don't think there's a tremendous pool of great defensemen in this. And so I, I look at him and I say, boy, I, you know, if he's out there, if McAvoy's there and, and I'm picking 10 or 11, and I feel like I need defense. You know, in the old days, you definitely would take the best player on the board. You wouldn't think about it. Like, I had Charlie McAvoy ranked 14th, right? But, but again, with the way that he has size already at 6'1", which is good, he's already got a pro body at 211, moves the puck well. He, he did so well in the uh, top prospects game, had a great season in the NCAA. I kind of look at that, and I say, you know... I might take him higher than that. I just might. And there's another kid, Logan Brown, 6'6", 218, a center, but he really skates well. Really, he's sort of like a um, a Van Riemsdyk in the way that he's a big guy with a great finesse game and and really got a, a lightning fast shot. I have him ranked 13th, but again, if I'm a GM and I'm picking 10th or 11th, I might consider him because if I feel like I need someone up the middle and could use size because, again, this game is going towards bigger centermen, at least for your top line. He'd be a guy I'd have to look at because he's got he's got the full package. He might take a little longer because he's 6'6", but he's already pretty, pretty fast for a guy who's 6'6". Well, you're after Chris's heart there with the McAvoy comment, Long Island's own, right, Chris? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he's from Long Beach, yeah. And I actually have a friend who uh, – Went to uh, went to BU and knows the coach, and he's yeah. also a great kid and uh, has tremendous hockey sense. He, I try not to show like, bias. I'm from North Massapequa, so I like to see Long Island kids too. But you know, I, I hear I hear the the smack talk on the other end where all you know a lot of these kids are overrated, yada yada. But you know, Sonny Milano is going to play tomorrow and for his first game for Columbus. So you know, a lot of them are hyped justly, and so I, I think McAvoy's is just. All right. Well, yeah, he's got a great one question in, in just relation to the depth at the top end of the draft. Um, 
if if Matthews was in last year's draft, would he be outside the top five? No, he. I I think he would have gone second. Really? I think he would have gone ahead of Eichel. Yeah, I think he he's not Connor McDavid. Few are, but. The, the thing about Matthews that, that sort of sets him apart, and, and you can see I mean, he's playing in a pro league, and I know he has over 20 goals. He might have like 22, 23, something like that. As a kid playing away from home, that's pretty impressive because, again, there are a lot of 30-something-year-old guys in that league too. Right. And the thing about him is in almost any situation that I've seen him, and I saw him, I went and scouted a USHL tournament on Long Island at the new um, rink in Eisenhower, and – I was there to see, like, Jeremy Bracco and a few other guys. I didn't know Austin Matthews was in, the, was in this game, and if he was, I didn't really know him at the time because it was two or three years ago. He was, like, 16. And all I kept doing was looking up and seeing him, like, pretty much charging down the wing, charging down the ice, and no one could cover him. And he already had that size and speed that was really hard for any defenseman to hold up on. And so... While I was definitely taking notes on the other guys, I kept writing about him, too, because it was like, wait, this kid's really special. This kid, I mean, nobody can cover him. And the fact that he is a big kid, he is a centerman, you've got that going for him. Even though Eichel's a centerman, too, I think I think the difference is, and, and Eichel is really, like the one thing about him is he's maybe one of the most, one of the stronger kids I've seen ever go into a draft, like just physically strong, ripped, just in an amazing shape. Even though Matthews gets listed at 6'10", 6'2", 210, whatever, he seems to just be stronger than that. And, it's fast, and, he, and he seems to be even a little faster than Eichel. I know everybody sort of marvels at times over Eichel's speed, but I, I think Matthews has a hockey speed and just kind of dares the defense to cover him, and it's very hard to, to hold him back. Wow. And Matthews, by the way, missed last year's draft. Uh, I know uh, Russell says uh, by two days. Yeah. That's it. Well, uh, all right. Could have had, uh, uh, let's, uh, let's let Russ head out to this Flyers game he's going to tonight. Uh, make sure you go to Amazon.com and check out his latest book, The Philadelphia Flyers Images of Sports. You want to give a background? Is that is that a pictorial kind of a yeah, deal? Yeah, it's, it's a picture book. Arcadia put it out. It's basically a book that goes from the, um, mainly from the new building forward. I mean, Bobby Clark's on the cover, and we certainly have some of the classic guys in there. But it's not Broad Street bully heavy. It's really heavy from the Lindros period forward. And while we have the Pelly Lindbergs and, and guys like that in there as well, we have a lot of unseen photos because Joe Tupo and Mike took a lot of pictures over the years of the Flyers, like the last 15, 20 years. And so a lot of the shots are theirs. A lot of them are at practice. A lot of them are at, at the practice rink. A lot of them are at NHL events, like all-star games and things like that, Stanley Cups, playoffs, at home, not at home. So so a lot of them people wouldn't be familiar with, and I think that's kind of cool. Um, just so you know, Matthews has 24 goals in 36 games. Not bad. Three points in four playoff games. So, you know, yeah. for an 18-year-old, that's that's pretty good. All right. Well, we're going to let you go, man. Thank you so much for coming in and spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Chris. All right. Have a good night. Thank you, Russ. Have a good one. You too. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Russ Cohen joins the show from at Sportsology. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. Um, 
that was that was cool. I like that. What do you think, Chris? That yeah, Russ is a good uh, Russ is a good guy, and uh, he is extremely knowledgeable. People should follow him. Uh, eat up any articles he puts out. He also has a, a radio show on Sirius, the Hockey Prospect radio show, uh, and probably can follow him also on Hockey Buzz. He's he is uh, he's a draft uh, expertise, but his expertise is really, I, I believe, across the board. Yeah, no kidding. I just like any question we fired at him, he knew what he had ready, ready answers. So. Great guest, great yeah. guest. We'll have to have him back on right before the draft if he has time for us. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're uh, well, let's let's close this down. We'll go out to a break and uh, we'll come back and and talk a little bit about the 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 current happenings in the league. I'm gonna have an opinion on the on the VC thing that uh, may not be too popular. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk-radio-format streaming station. Check it out. Welcome back. We want to thank Russ Cohen from Sportsology for joining us once again. Follow him on Twitter at Sportsology for all his content and go to Amazon and and check out some of his books. He's got the, the bucket list for Rangers fans. I know a few Rangers fans follow us on Twitter, so go check that out. And then his latest book, The Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, it sounded like a really cool book, behind-the-scenes pictures back 20, 25 years ago. So if you're a Flyers fan, make sure you go to Amazon.com and check out Russ Cohen. Good stuff. So uh, we're gonna f- we flip this episode around because he had to get out on the road to go to the game. So we're gonna hit around the league, and I guess one of the bigger topics this week, uh, Jimmy VC, who was drafted in 2012 by the Nashville Predators, decided to remain at Harvard and continue on and get his degree and here we are four years later and uh the the signing window for him when his rights expire with nashville expires here in august and he's decided to not sign with nashville although i guess reports were that uh carmanos has said that is it carmanos or am i blowing it I don't know. Anyway, he... he no, I'm not with Carolina. Uh, David... Uh, Poyle. 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 Right. Poyle. Okay. I got Carolina on my brain for uh, relocation to Quebec is what I'm thinking about. But, uh, no, uh, he said that he had a verbal commitment uh, as recently as this fall that he would sign when he was done. But uh, I don't know. Where, tell me where you stand, and then I'm probably going to have the counterpoint. What do you think, Chris? see that. Uh, the story, obviously, uh, away from hockey, uh, the last couple of days has been quite busy for me. I just saw the story that he was pro- not going to sign with Nashville, and, uh, you know, I, I, I did read stories about a couple of those conspiracy theorists out there that if you wind up going to Toronto, that there's going to be an investigation, because uh, the Maple Leafs, I guess, within the last year or so, or maybe even more recently, Hired his father as as a scout, and his brother was also drafted by the Leafs. Uh, 
but it's, it appears that the rumor mill is that it's a done deal. He's going to go to the Bruins, although he can't sign with them until August 15th. Right. I did not hear, uh, so if he, ha- if he gave them like a verbal nod and that once my, uh, college season ends, I'll sign with you and he, you know, reneged on it. I mean, that, that stinks, but, you know, I guess, you know, you got to be able to prove it and that's why, you know, you have to, you know, it's in everyone's best interest to get these players, uh, to get these players signed, uh, as soon as possible. So, especially with these, uh, NCAA guys, because, you know, they can hit free agency and then, you know, kind of pick where they want to, where they want to go. Obviously, you know, being in the Harvard, Harvard area, uh, the Bruins probably seems very appealing. Right. And they're talking, what, what, what concerns me is that some of the chatter about this has been, um, how to fix that loophole. Um, as far as NCAA kids, and maybe add a year where the team that drafted them would retain their rights for a year after they get out of school, um, and then the following summer they would become free agents. That that's where I have a problem with it because look, 2012 was four years ago. You've held held his rights for four years, but. Remember that this isn't just sports, it's a business. And if you were a freshman at Harvard, and let's just throw Microsoft in there for an example, they said, uh, we're, we're hiring you when you graduate. You can't go anywhere else. And we'd, li- we'd like to hire you right now. And then you say, oh, I'm going to go back to school. Oh, we'd like to hire you right now. Oh, I'm going to go do my junior year. Hey, we'd like to hire you right now. Well, I'm going to do my senior year, and we'll talk after I graduate. And then once they graduate from from college, Microsoft would be able to hold that kid hostage for another year and keep him from entering a job market because somehow they had acquired rights to this kid. Um and it's not based on athletic ability. It's based on his ability to uh, design some super chip, what have you. I don't think anybody would be arguing in favor of that. But because he's an athlete and his performance could affect a team, now that there's this loophole they want to close. I think my opinion is that if you draft a, draft a freshman in college – and the rules are that you hold his rights all the way through college. I think that's enough. I I don't. I'm. I would totally be against. And I guess I'm a players' rights guy, and I'm into movement, uh, player movement, and and less restrictions on players being a union guy. Um, I don't like this being even referred to as a loophole. If you're going to draft a, a kid who's going to college. And, and holding on to his rights basically for four years isn't enough for you guys to sell yourself to him and get him signed, then maybe you don't deserve to have that player. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Mark. I, you had him for four, that he, like you said, he was drafted in June of 2012. Uh, we're, you know, we're in a, uh, we're in the end of March of, uh, 2016. So, um, you you've had ample time. It, it was it's a very similar situation to last year, right? With Columbus, with Mike Riley, and uh, he went up going into Minnesota. So 
I agree with you that loophole or that extra rule putting it an extra year would just pretty much, uh, you know, uh, uh, would kill the players because then they, they would be in limbo for you. Yeah, if they really didn't want to sign with somebody, they, uh, they'd, they'd be held hostage for a year. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't be for that at all. The Nashville had time to sign them, and, uh, you know, it didn't work out. For whatever, re- whatever the reasons were, it just didn't work out. Now, my, o- my only thought on if you wanted to change the draft structure, um, maybe you follow the NFL and NBA model with kids still in college to where they would have to submit their names to the draft. And and that way the teams that draft them know that they're interested in becoming a pro. And that would lessen the risk on the management side of the coin. Um, and maybe follow some somewhere along those lines. Where I mean, if kid gets, gets uh, put it this way, that kid got a Harvard degree. How many kids every year get a Harvard degree and he spent four years in college. God bless him. Um, I, I know I'd never make it through there. I'm barely making it through junior college, but uh, that's, that's neither here nor there. I don't, I don't want to hold I mean, so you could draft a freshman in college and you'd have his rights for five years. That just seems ridiculous to me. I'm not on board with that. If you wanted to change the system yeah. to make it a voluntary entry draft instead of everybody 18 years old is free game, I would like that more because that protects the players more. Um, they could they could do so without hiring an agent, um, talk with friends and family, make their decisions about whether to be pro, whether two years in college, four years in college, whatever's going to help them, and choose – whenever their stock is highest to enter the draft. Um that's that's pretty much all I gotta say about that. I don't I don't like that even being termed a loophole. I think the system already holds some kids hostage way too long. That's my opinion. So let's uh we're gonna close out. We're getting here down to the last uh last ten days of the season at this recording, something like that. Um we still have some wild card races to get into, Chris. Yeah, well, we got. I think we have four interesting races. We have in the East. We have uh, going into Wednesday night, the thirtieth. We have the Atlantic and Florida won a big game over the weekend over the Lightning, but then stubbed their toe by losing to the Maple Leafs uh, last night. So uh, both teams have six games left. They both played seventy-six, and they're both at ninety-three. But Tampa currently holds the tiebreaker, which is the ROW. So that is uh, up for grabs for who, who wins the division uh, in the Atlantic. Uh, in terms of in the East is the wild card. Right now we have the Islanders at 91, the Bruins at 88, and the Red Wings and the Flyers at 87. Uh, interesting to note, though, the Bruins and the Red Wings have played 77 games, while the Islanders and the Flyers have only played 75. So both the Islanders and the Flyers have two games in hand. Uh, one Whoop. tonight, and so that's that's not an easy game in hand. And then we get to the central, where we have Dallas and St. Louis both playing really well right now at 101 points, both with 77 games played. Uh, Dallas does have its current tiebreaker with the ROW. Then they don't play again uh, the rest of the regular season. And as you know, Mark, out in the Pacific. 
We have the Kings at 95, the Ducks at 94, and the Sharks at 92. The Kings have played one more game than the Ducks. The Sharks have played uh, one more game than the Kings. And as you know, Mark, next week, uh, I believe is it April 7th, the Ducks go to the Kings. So it is all pointing to that gonna, game could very well decide off. who wins the division. Yeah, the Kings really laid it yeah. the this last week. They were within two points of Dallas and tied with St. Louis at one point last week, and then they've gone one and four since then. Um, they really had a chance. Yeah, they were, and, they, they, and they were beating world beaters, right? They went to Chicago, blasted Chicago. Went they Dallas. went to Dallas. They blasted Dallas. And they've actually uh, the uh, lost some kind of, Yeah, Yeah, they lost like some mediocre teams, right? Yeah. In the stretch. Well, the the, so, the uh, thing is they were playing teams that, that are playing for their playoff lives and position more. I mean, you would think that going to Minnesota could have been a win. Um, going to going to Nashville as a playoff preview, maybe you want to pump your tires up a little bit and, and, and send a message for the playoffs. That didn't happen. Um, then you go to San Jose, which could also potentially be their first-round matchup if they continue to slide and get blasted by the Sharks. So they've had as good a week as they had two weeks ago, pulling within two points of number one in the West. It's been equally opposite and bad in Kingsland for the last week. So I don't know what to make of this team. Yeah, it'll be interesting to me. The Central is very interesting who wins the Central because between Dallas and St. Louis, because the winner in most in all likelihood is going to get the is going to get Minnesota. And the team that finishes second is probably going to get the Blackhawks. And, uh, uh, even though the Blackhawks haven't had, I've been struggling these last couple of weeks. They did the same thing last year. And then once the playoffs started, we know what happened. So, I mean, obviously you have to beat those kind of teams to get far into the playoffs. And one can make an argument. It's better to, you know, to, to get that team earlier in the first round. If you're trying to get to the ultimate prize versus once they have some, a playoff series under the belt. But, um, Obviously, if you rather play the Wild than uh, uh, than the Hawks, although if you're St. Louis, you know uh, you know Minnesota knocked you out last year, so not to take Minnesota for gra- uh, for granted, you know, um, uh, I, I, whatever you know, I would think that would still be a very competitive series if it was Dallas or St. Louis versus Minnesota. Yeah, if Dubnik finds his form from last year headed into the playoffs, um, Dallas. Dallas doesn't want to play a defensive-oriented team with a hot goalie. That's going to be their bugaboo, I would think. I think St. Louis-Minnesota would be a pretty interesting series. Fans might not uh, find it exciting to watch, but that would be a pretty interesting chess match, I think. Well, look, there's a lot of pressure on St. Louis. They they have to. Well, they've been a top team in the league, I believe, uh, the last five years, if I have that correctly. And they've won one playoff series. I mean, they've been one of the best teams in the league, and they are once again this year. You know, they have to. I mean, a bare minimum, uh, you know, win a round mm-hmm. and uh, and then have an excellent second round. Um, I mean, I would say they, this team really needs to get to the Western Conference Finals. I mean, you know, if they do that, obviously we get that close, and you want to win it all. But if they do that, I mean, they have to. Uh, do that this year based on uh, their past playoff performances, which which have been very rough. No, I agree. Well, next week we'll know for sure what's going on. So uh, 
Until then, hockey fans, thank you once again for tuning into the show. Chris, as always, it's a pleasure, sir. And uh, thank you to Russ Cohen at Sportsology. Make sure you follow him on Twitter and pick up his book, The Philadelphia Flyers. And I think that's all we got. We're out of time. So until next week, Jillian, Jillian Fisher will be on with us. And we're gone. Uh-